So the high priestly prayer in John 17, um, what I thought would be just a nice uh, punctuation on the end of our series in discipleship ends up actually being the series in discipleship in one prayer of Jesus's. Um, and, and it's again, it's, it's a prayer for us. It's a prayer over us. Um, these are the thoughts from his heart that he shared with his father, that he shared with his disciples. Words of prayer. This is not a, this is not a sermon. This is not just random musings. This is a prayer, a concerted, heartfelt prayer um, from Jesus um, for his own sake and for the sake of his disciples to his father. Um, it's called the high priestly prayer. And it's called the high priestly prayer because of Hebrews 4, 15, and 16, which says we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. In our time of year, uh, time of need, a, a priest in the Old Testament time would be one who would intercede for God's people, make sacrifices on behalf of God's people, would make literal, like animal sacrifices on behalf of His people to atone um, for their sins. It was a, a, a an intermediation between God and His people through this priest. And um, we have a high priest. Jesus is that high priest. He is our mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. And this is the prayer of that high priest. This is the prayer of that mediator. And this is uh, a prayer that is Jesus' heart and hope for his disciples. It's not Jesus' wish. We talked about the difference between a, a, a hope and a wish. A wish is like, I wish that I had more money. I, 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 I wish um, that Krispy Kreme donuts would always be hot and ready. You know, like I, wishes tend to be a bit more earthly, a bit more frivolous. They have a bit more to do with happiness. Like, and there's nothing wrong with happiness, but happiness is circumstantial. So it's like, you know, if you wish that you had more money, you'd imagine that you'd be more happy if you had more money. So you wish that you had more money. Uh, a hope is not that. A hope is faith, and a hope is faith in the future. So we have a faith in Christ, not just what he did, but what he's doing and what he's going to do. Hope is faith placed in the future. And this, this prayer, not being a wish, being a hope, it's a, it's, a, it's a declaration, it's a promise, it's a guaranteed future for his disciples. So as a very quick recap, last week we learned um, in verse 1 that Jesus asked to be glorified so that he might glorify the Father. Okay, so Jesus wants to be glorified. He wants glory. It seems kind of selfish, right? On the surface. Jesus, I mean, Father, give me glory. Oh, well, geez, all right, that's convenient for you. Like, no, he wants glory so that he might glorify the Father. And we also learned that the Father's hope, the Father's desire is to glorify the Son. Um, in verse 2, we learned that Jesus has authority to, to, has authority to give life. And he does. He does give life to all that the Father gives him. So the Father gives him uh, 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 orphans of sin, children of wrath and destruction. The Father gives them to the Son, and the Son gives them life. We learned in verse 3 that life means to know the Father. Like that's Jesus' definition of life is to know the Father. 
Like he wants all that the Father has given him to know the Father. Jesus is, you know, cried like, I, I pray that they would um, know you as, as I know you. In verse 4 and 5, we learned that the completed work, Jesus' completed work deserves glory. So he's asking for glory, for, but actually the completed work of Christ deserves glory. Like if you were able to do what Jesus did, you would deserve glory. But I mean, how far away from that standard are we? Like, it, you can't even, it's, it's, in, it's incalculable. But Jesus actually did it. Jesus lived the life that we cannot live, have not lived, and will not live. Jesus lived that life, and it deserves glory. But even with all that glory, it's nothing without presence. I use that analogy of like all the work that we've done in our house, and it's great. And we have subway tile, and we've got pendant lights, and we obeyed all the rules, and it's great. And it's a wonderful house. But in the middle of all that, Mara and I had a bit of a, bit of a tiff. And I remember taking some trash outside, thinking about the awesomeness of our newly redecorated home, and just thinking this would be absolutely worthless if I was not with her. If I'm not with her, it, it, what does it matter? where I live, if I'm not with her. That's what Jesus says. What I have done here on earth, I I admit, Father, it deserves glory. But I don't want the glory if I'm not with you. The glory means nothing without the presence. In verses 7 and 8, we learned that Jesus knows that everything he has is from the Father. And we know that as well because we received the words, we know them and believe them. Jesus is acknowledging, now Jesus is God, and he, even he, even God is acknowledging that he would have nothing without his father. I used to challenge my kids in youth groups to, to know that everything they have has been given to them. And be like, no, not, not really, no, no, like, uh, see this phone, see this whatever, I bought these. These are my things. I bought them. So they weren't given to me. I earned them. I bought them. Like, oh, really? You earned them? Well, with what did you earn them? Uh, With money. Where'd you get the money? With a job. Oh, really? How'd you get a job? Didn't someone give you a job? Yes. Someone gave me a job. Ah, so the money that you earned was actually given. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. Right? Everything we have is from the Father. Every good and perfect gift, the scripture says, is from the Father. Okay? We know that as well. If you know that, why? Because you received the words of Christ, you know those words, and you believe those words. Okay? So verse 9, we're, we're, we're moving into the, into the new territory this week. Verse 9, in, uh, in John 17, let's pick it up in verse 9, follow along with me. The scriptures won't be on the wall, so if you have your... Bibles or your phones or whatever, follow along. John 17, verse 9. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Okay? So these promises that Jesus has given, that we just walked through again, these promises that he's declaring, and, and there's more promises to come, these promises are actually not universal. The promises that he is declaring, praying over us, are not universal. They're only for those who are his. Like they're only for those who are his. And that's a challenge for us. The, the best example that, that I've come across, like in my studies of this, um, is that, and gosh, it's, I, just, I don't even like saying it out loud because it just seems so counter. We tell every child, 
we tell every child, you are a child of God. You're a child of God. And I understand why we say it, and I'm not going to tell you to stop saying it, but this is the truth I want you to know behind that statement. We need to hope. We need to pray. We need to ask the Father that they would be children of His. Because as Ephesians teaches us, we're not born as a child of God. We're born as a child of wrath. Right? We're orphans until we're adopted. Like, I, I pray that my children are children of God. That's what I want for my children is children. I want them to be children of God. Jesus is praying for those who are his. He's not praying for the world. Right? And that's not, that's not to say that Jesus doesn't... Like, does Jesus love everybody? Absolutely. Absolutely Jesus loves everybody. He takes no pleasure. He takes no pleasure in disciplining people. He, he's, not, he's not a sadist. He doesn't... He doesn't he doesn't get pleasure in, in punishing. Like when he laid waste to Sodom and Gomorrah, he didn't smile through that. He didn't enjoy that. When, when, when God destroyed the, the Pharaoh and his armies in the Red Sea, he didn't take pleasure in that. All right? So does, does God love everyone? Yes. Like, do I love all of you? Yes. Do I love your children? Yes. Is there a difference between the way I love your children and the way I love my own? Yes. Absolutely. As I've unfortunately shared with you, this building is on fire. I'll knock you down to get my kids out of here. Then I'll come back. I'll do my best. But I'm going to make sure that they're safe first, right? I'm not saying I don't care about you. I'm just saying I love those children because they're mine. Jesus is not praying for everybody. He's praying for those who are his, for those who are the fathers. He's praying. For... So these things aren't true necessarily for just anybody. They can be true if they are his. They can be true if, if they are adopted by him. It's like, again, I've used before, like we, 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 everybody, all the world, especially in our culture, we, we want everybody to know that they're all priceless, precious, you know, s s snowflakes, right? And they're all unique and they're all special and all different. That can be true if you are his. All, the, all the, the beauty and the promise and the awesomeness that we declare over all the children everywhere in America, those things can be true in Christ. They are not true outside of him. They can be true in him. Jesus is praying. He's declaring these things to be true for those who are his, right? Well, well how do we know, okay, how do we know who are his, Ultimately, it's not your place to figure out or decide who are his. There's this awesome parable about the, about the, uh, um, the, the wheat and the tares, like, like the, the good crops and the weeds. And Jesus is, you know, Jesus' people are like, you want us to, like, you know, you want us to, to walk through, you know, like with a sickle? You want us to cut out all the weeds? Cut them down, throw them in the fire? You want us to do that? And he's like, no, 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 that's not your job. Please. Oh, my goodness. That's not your job. I mean, because you imagine like uh, handing your son, like your nine-year-old son, a chainsaw, right? You, you know what's going to happen, right? Extreme violence, lots of bloodshed, either his or someone else's death, destruction, maiming, property, human beings, right? That it is, ours is not to hold the sickle. Ours is not to decide who are weeds and who, who is wheat, 
right? So, so this is a question that I want you to ask of yourself, not of other people, all right? Ask this of yourself. You ask the question, am I yours? Father, am I yours? How do I know, Jesus, that I really am yours? How do we know who are his? Who are his? Those who abide. Who are they who abide? Those who obey. Who are they who obey? Those who bear good fruit. Who are they who bear good fruit? Those who believe. Who are they who believe? Those who are his. Right? So you ask yourself that question. And if you land anywhere in that, then take heart. God is at work in you. Right? If, if you look at your life and you see this fruit that is coming and you're like, you didn't know that. You didn't know you're an apple tree. Right? The best you can remember, you were like poison ivy at best. And like all of a sudden, there's all this fruit. Guess what? There's all this fruit because you've been obedient. And you've been obedient because you are abiding in him. You could land anywhere on this and take heart. Like he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion. So it's not our job to figure out who are his. But you ask yourself the question, am I his? And take heart. If you desire to be his, and that's the bottom line. Like if you desire to be his, like Jesus, I want to be yours. How do I know that I'm yours? Congratulations, you are his. Because the only place that that question could even come from is the moving and prompting of the Holy Spirit. Moving in you. Uh, removing that, that satisfaction of the world. Like you used to be satisfied with little trinkets and now that your eyes have been opened, you're like, wow. Yeah, so that means the Holy Spirit has been in work in you. You might not be there yet. Right? You, know, you might not be there yet. Take heart. Jesus is praying for those who are his. So you, you, might, you might actually look at that list and go like, I don't, I, don't even, I don't even know if I'm abiding. The only reason you'd want to abide is because you've experienced what that means. Like you've experienced the life and the joy that comes from abiding. And you might still struggle. You might still wander. But if you could even go, God, I, I want to abide. Jesus, I want to abide. It's because you have tasted and you have seen that the Lord is good. And take heart. Jesus is praying that you would abide in him. He's not wishing that you would. He's praying. He's declaring that you will. Jesus is praying for those who are his. Read along in verse 10. All Mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Jesus is glorified in us. <laughs> Jesus is glorified in us. We know us, don't we? Like, you know you. And like, because I mean, I come across that and I'm like, really? Really? Isn't it funny how you get high-pitched when you really just don't see? Like, really? Like, God, I mean... God is glorified? Jesus is glorified in me? How does that work? How does that work out? Read verse 10 again. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Jesus has glory in the presence of the Father. We already talked about that. We do as well because we are with the Father. And how did we get to the Father? Jesus. Jesus is the way. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. So the reason that Jesus is glorified in us is that we are in the Father. And that's where Jesus' glory comes to begin with. 
So if we are in him, then we are in the Father. And if we are in the Father, then, 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 then he is glorified in us because we are in him. Like we are so much more unified to God than I ever really thought and knew and believed. The way the gospel is presented, and and I'm thankful for it because so many people have come to Christ through this understanding, but we we imagine that, that, you know, like, you've seen it before, and it's the four spiritual laws, and there's this great chasm between man and between God, and Jesus is the cross that bridges that chasm of sin that unites us with God, but we always think of that in terms of heaven. Like when we die, we'll be able to cross over the cross and be with him. No, 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 no. No, we're with him now. Like if you're abiding in him, guess what? You can't abide in him if you're not in him. Like our eternal life in Christ began the moment the Holy Spirit gave us the faith to believe in him to begin with. Like this is not a, this is not a the later on down the road kind of proposition. This is like a now but, you know, Jesus' language is so confusing. We've talked about this before, that Jesus oftentimes speaks in terms of uh, yes, but not yet. Like, we've, we've I mean, bless Mary's heart, um, uh, and, and bless Eliza even more. Um, we, we continue to, to fail to learn this lesson. If something cool is coming up in Eliza's little life, some kind of party, some kind of play date, just, just don't tell her until we're, like, there. Because she's like every day, is this, is this a party? Are we going to the party today? Like, no, 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 baby. Um, we're, not, we're not going to the party today. All right, but it's happening. You know, I remember what, it was uh, Zoe Miller, a little friend of hers, daughter of one of my best friends. Is it Zoe Miller's birthday today? No, no. You've been invited to it. You're going, right? So it's today? No, no. It's Zoe Miller's birthday party. It's not today. So I'm not going? No, you're going to Zoe Miller's party. You received the invitation. We RSVP'd. Our place is secure. It's going to happen. You're there, okay? But not yet. You understand? Like, Jesus speaks in those terms. So, we are already with the Father, because we're already with Him. But yet, He is still returning, so that we can't be with Him. I know. It's a little crazy. Verse 11. And I am no longer in the world. Again, there, but no, he's like literally there praying and he's saying, I'm not in the world anymore. But he's there in the world praying. But yet he's, he's speaking in terms of not being there anymore. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And, and who can argue with that? That's, that's the thing we can grasp. We can grasp that part. We are in the world indeed. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus knows his place. Right? Jesus knows his place. He knows his home. He is leaving to go to his home, and he will return. Until then, we are kept. Okay? Um, I have dog sat one time in my life. I, 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 I sat on, on this dog. Um, the dog's name was Maisie. It was like the kind of like white little, little floppy-eared dogs, and they're really sweet. Uh, what'd you say? Like, like a cocker spaniel, maybe? Is that what it is? Yeah. Aren't they kind of, kind of curry? Like, kind of like almost like sheepy, but with the floppy ears? 
No, no, no. Anyway, it was a dog. It was a really sweet dog, really gentle dog, um, very obedient dog. And I, this, is the, this is one part. I remember we, we wrapped the pills in the cheese. And the other thing I remember, because I was a kid, when we dog sat this dog, um, is that there was this rug, okay? And you put the rug down and you pat the rug and you say, Maisie's place, Maisie's place. And Maisie will come and sit on that rug and Maisie will not leave that rug until you say, all right, Maisie, you can get up now. It's get up time. Like you can leave the room, right, in the morning. And you wake up, and you're going to start the day. You could leave the room. Maisie's not leaving. Maisie knows his place. This is Maisie's place, right? And how can he do that with great content and great peace? Because he knows, coming back. All right, Maisie, you can get up now. All right? Jesus knows his place. Jesus knows his place is with the Father. Jesus also knows that those who are his, us, our place is with the Father. Right? Right now, Tommy's place is in the world. Tommy's place. All right, Jesus. So I can stay here? I stay here? But you're going to come back and get me? Yeah, I'm going to come back and get you. But Tommy's place. All right? Jesus knows our home. Jesus knows where ultimately we will reside. And that is with him and that is with the Father. That is experiencing the glory that the Son had with the Father before even the, the first thought of creation began. For an eternity, Jesus had this glory with this presence with the Father. That's the same, that's the same presence that we're going to have in eternity. That's going to be ultimately our place. All right, you can get up now. It's beautiful. Verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Okay? So while Jesus was here on earth, he's telling his father he kept those that he was given. His disciples, they were given to him, and he kept them. All right? And Jesus loses no one. But then there's this like little asterisk, like, God, like Jesus puts an asterisk in his own prayer. Like, he's like, Father, I have lost no one that you have given me uh, except for Judas. Right? Judas, the, the one who betrayed Jesus. So what about Judas? Okay? What about Judas? Well, here's an asterisk on Jesus' asterisk. Um, Jesus, uh, Judas was, was never his to begin with. Look at uh, John 13. You can just turn back probably just one page. Look at John 13, verse 16. Jesus says this, kind of skipping to the middle of his statement, but he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. Like he's saying, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. Judas was not given to the son. Judas did not abide with the son. The son tolerated Judas's presence so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, that Jesus would be betrayed. That Jesus would be betrayed. All right? Now, the, the, um, the, uh, the verse there, the John 13 reference, is, is to help us not 
be thrown by Judas's loss. Let me read the, the, the John passage again, uh, starting in 18. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've had chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. So we look at Judas's life and we're like, how did Judas do this? How did Judas betray Jesus? Because the question that you're asking yourself, and you might not even be admitting that you're asking it of yourself, but the question that you're asking, the, the secret inner question you're asking is, how do I know that I won't do the same thing? How do I know that I won't betray Jesus as well? Or you might be asking yourself the question about the person that you know who, gosh, when they grew up, they were a believer. They were there. They were it. I mean, they, they might have even grown. They, they were baptized. They were confirmed, whatever. They, they served their love. They, were, they, they went on mission trips. They, they even, like, maybe they even served as an elder. And like, look what happened to them. They were even a pastor. And look what happened to them. How is this possible? Like, how do I know I won't end up like that? Like, how do I finish well? Right, well, take heart. Jesus is saying, look, I know who are mine, and I know who are not. Judas, he's not mine. He's not mine. I'm tolerating him in my presence. I'm allowing him to be counted among my disciples because the scriptures will be fulfilled. I will be betrayed. It will happen. So take heart. Like, if you are his, then you are not Judas. How do you know you're not going to be a Judas? Because you know you're his. And Jesus loses none who are his. They were given to him by his father. They were given. It's, 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 it's the giver that, that makes the gift precious, right? Like, Because every time you, you see the gift, you're reminded of the giver. Like Jesus holds us as precious because we were given to him by his father. Like, think of all the little trinkets that you hold on to just because of who gave them to you, just because of who they belong to. Like, on face value, like, what is this old box? What does this old box matter? Not just an old box, man. Right? That old box was given to me by, and then fill in the blank, that whatever it was. We're precious to Jesus. We're precious to Jesus because we are a gift to Jesus. And Jesus knows who are his. And he will not leave us, he will not forsake us, nor will anyone else be able to grab us, pluck us from his hand. Look in verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. But now I am coming to you in these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. His time here on earth is ending. But his and our joy is fulfilled in us. His joy is fulfilled in us. Our joy is fulfilled in him. It's fulfilled in us, in him, in us, in him. Right? And how is this possible? Like, what, I mean, blah, 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 blah. What, I mean, what, does, what does it even mean? That his joy and our joy is fulfilled in us, in him, in us, in him. Again, we're abiding. We're abiding. If we are abiding in him, if we're at home in him, then the glory that he experiences, he shares with us. That the safety and security that he has, we have. And you and I have together. Why? Because you and I are special? No, because you and I are in him. So if we have unity, if we have joy, 
It's because he has joy, because we have joy. That's how closely we abide in him. If something good, like think of, think of like if, if something good happens to, like to y'all's family, like you got this amazing job, who's going to benefit from this amazing job? Well, Jason's going to benefit from this amazing job. Dean's going to benefit from this amazing job. Well, why? Because you and Jason are one and Dean abides with you. So a great thing that happens to you happens to you all. Right? You know the heart of your son. He comes home and he tells you something amazing that happened to school. Something amazing happened to you today. Right? And to you today. Because you abide with your son. You abide with your daughter. We, we experienced something yesterday. Some, some heartbreak. Some heartache of a child of ours. And I could, I could see it. I could feel it in the heart of my wife. Because my wife abides with my children. So if something happens with my child, it happens to her. Happens to me. Happens to us. So Jesus is saying, look, my time here physically on earth is ending. But I'm going to leave. But fulfill my joy by abiding with one another as you abide in me. Right? Tommy's place. Justin's place. Say, but and it, it just hit me um, this morning. I, I I never I never realized this when when Mary and I are 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 leaving or or just the, my kids hear of a plan of like like Mary has to go do something I have to go do something we get to go do something we had a date the other night it was awesome my little kids they ask this question I never put it together they said well who's going to keep us like. I mean, that's like the exact language. Like, who's going to keep us? Right? And so when Mary and I both went on a date, so it's not just, you know, one of us. Right? And it always annoys me when people are like, oh, so you're babysitting? I'm like, I'm not a babysitter. I'm not babysitting. I'm parenting. Because I'm a, I'm a parent. Right? So, right. So Mary and I are both leaving. The kids are asking who's going to keep us. And I'm like, look, we're leaving, but we're like, we're coming back. And the specific instruction that I gave my little children, well, was that, what, was that Friday night? Yeah, so Friday night we went on a little date. The, the specific instruction that I gave them was I said this. I said, all right, all right, littles, because we call them the, the littles and the, and the middles and the bigs. So it's like littles, littles and bigs. Kids, listen to me. Listen to me. Mommy and daddy, we're leaving, Okay. Who's going to keep us? Okay, your older sisters are in charge. So this is what it's going to mean. This, this is what that means. It means that they will be sweet. They will be patient. But they are in charge. So you be obedient. Whatever they say, it's like mom and dad are saying it. And they will be patient. And they will be sweet. And you will obey. And we are coming back. So... So that's Jesus and his church. That's, that's Jesus and, and, the, and the overseers that he appoints. It's Jesus and his apostles. It's Jesus saying, okay, I'm leaving. Who's going to keep us? Right? Like, I'm coming back. All right? I'm coming back. But abide with one another. Okay? Abide with one another. Listen to the, the, the proclaimed word. Listen to my word. Uh, abide in me. Stay in me. Stay at home. Don't go anywhere. Abide. Stay. And, and, and guess, what we, guess what we love when Mary and I come home from a date? When the house is clean and the kids are asleep and everyone's at peace. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. Right? 
Like that's, that's how we, like we are his body. He's like, I'm leaving. I'm not turning my back on you. I'm leaving. I'm leaving to go prepare a place for you anyway. Right? And I'm going to return and I'm going to come and get you. While I'm gone, abide with one another. Love one another. Have patience with one another. Build up one another. Instruct one another. Stay with one another. Make my joy complete. Our joy is fulfilled in him, in us, in him, in us. Verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Okay? People of the world or people of the word. And that's like the dire warning through our entire series on discipleship, right? You will not be loved by the world if you are his. That's the choice we have to make. Are we going to be a person of the world? Are we people of the world? Or are we going to be people of the word? People of the world or people of the word. It, it's, it's, it's really simple. The promise, though, that it is that, that if we keep the word, if we are people of the word, then we will have joy. And joy is not happiness. Happiness is robbed by circumstances. You, you look at people of the world and you see when they're riding high and they're like, you know, and they're riding on this cresting wave of popularity and oh my gosh, and, and they're making millions and millions of dollars and making movies or they're huge into politics or everybody loves them, everybody adores them. And then what do we do as the world? We tear them down and you're nobody. We hate you. Right? So your happiness as being part of the world is so circumstantial. And it's it's like it's like I mean it's like it's like it's like a it's like a it's like a butterfly's fart. It's like it just it's so light and and, and it just it, it it leaves as soon as it happens. Right? Or we can abide in the word, apologize, use the word fart, I don't know. First thing came to my mind. Have you ever seen that? No, no I've heard it. And that's how fleeting joy and contentment and, and love and authority and popularity is in the world. So we can be people of the world or we can be people of the word. Jesus is praying that we would be obviously people of the word. Um, Verses 15 and 16. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Okay. Jesus is not praying that we will be saved out of whatever you're facing. Whatever hardships, whatever struggles that you are facing right now, he has not prayed for us to be saved out of those things. He has prayed and guaranteed that we will be kept through them. We're not saved from the world's hatred, but we're kept in joy through it. And, and why is that? Like, like why is it that, that God would not want to just pluck us out of that? You know? Like, again, as a parent, you have the tendency to want to just save your kid from the whatever thing, Right? Whatever thing they're struggling with, whatever lesson they just can't quite seem to learn, like it's your tendency just to jump in and just save them from it, right? Because we we don't want to see them hurt. Heaven forbid our children hurt, right? Ever, at all. Right? Just just wrap the world in in, in bubble wrap. Look in Romans 8, 12 through 17. This is what Paul says. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. Think, you know, here, world. To live according to the flesh, according to the world. For if you live according to the flesh, according to the world, you will die. But if you live in the spirit, 
you will put to death the deeds of the body and put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, which means Daddy. We, we, we cry, Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. <gasps> awesome! Wait, oh, the sentence is not over. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. If we are in Him, then we will suffer with Him. Did Jesus suffer? If we were saved from those sufferings, we would be robbed of that glory. Again, marriage is a never-ending analogy. Would you stop with the marriage thing, Tommy? We heard it. Okay, you love your wife, blah, 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 blah. Never going to get a divorce. But like, <laughs> like, right, so we're, we're in this, uh, so far, 16 years, right? You know, hopefully another 60. Um, that'd be good, 76 years. That sounds, that sounds like a good, good, good number to be married. But we look at all the things that we've gone through. And honestly, I weep for those who threw in the towel because we know the glory that we are experiencing now, we would not have if we left. If we failed to abide with one another, the marriage that we have now. Like, our marriage is so much better now than it was that first magical week that we were married. It almost makes that first magical week look laughable. Like, and why? Because it's been like a never-ending parade of like balloon animals and filet mignon. And, like, no, because we've gone through really difficult stuff. We're in the middle of a really difficult season. But like we've learned like, okay, it's a difficult season, but this is not it. This is not how it's going to be forever. But even if it is forever, we have each other. So what's going to be so bad? What's going to be so wrong? Right? Like don't rob don't, don't ask to be robbed of the glory that comes through suffering. Like, the glory comes through the suffering, comes from the suffering. You think God's going to waste hurt? Just like God gets no pleasure in punishing, do you think he's just like, oh man, they just will never learn. I got a law, my hands are tied. No, like God is like, just abide, abide, abide. If you will abide with me through this, you will, you will understand more about what it means that I love you than you ever would have before. You look at the parable of the prodigal son. Like before the son left home, he despised his father, would rather his father be dead and just wanted stuff. So the father says, all right, fine. Pretend I'm dead. Here's your money. Go buy your stuff. And he fell on his face in sickness and sadness and despair and loneliness. And he comes back to the father and says, father, I am no more worthy to be called your son. Right? He wants to just live as a slave. If, could just, if I could just be one of your hired hands. And the father says, are you kidding me? You, you were dead and now you're alive. Puts a ring on his finger, puts a robe on his back. And so now where is the son? The son loves the father. The son abides with the father. The son understands the treasure was not the inheritance. The father is the treasure, is the inheritance. We get to have him. He would have never known that. Had the father not allowed him to wallow in the destruction of his own desires and be purged of it. Every struggle that we go through, whether it's afflicted upon us or it's a self-inflicted wound, it's an opportunity to realize the glory of just abiding with the father. 
provided we do, provided we do abide. Verse 17 in John, not Romans. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart in truth. Sanctify means to set apart. So Jesus is saying, set them apart in truth. It's never more clear than it is now, like what that means to be someone of the truth. Look out in the world. Do do they agree on anything? Is there anything substantial that the world is now standing on? It's never been more clear than now. It's just, it just never has. I don't know. I've never lived in every time period, but it sure seems to me that it's never been so clear because the world is, is standing on, on sinking sand of no truth. The world doesn't even believe that truth exists anymore. They do not even believe that truth itself exists anymore. You know why universities are called universities? Universities are called universities because they, they were founded, they existed so that we could study and learn and discern universal truth. What are the universal things that are true? So like in your home, in your hometown, you could learn things and it's a collection of things that are true and maybe old wives tales and whatnot and all that's the way you were raised. You can go off to university and you can go even deeper and you, you could see the things that are universally true. That no matter where you go, whether it's your home or someone else's home, these are the universal things that are true. You can go to any culture, you can go to any place, you can go to any planet and these universal things will always be true. Now, instead of institutions of universal truth or instru- instruments of uh, they're, they're institutions of universalism. That everything is true and nothing is true. How unstable is that ground to stand on? So Jesus is saying, sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart in truth. Um, there's a, a, a quote from G.K. Chesterton. And it's called the, the Modern Rebel. So let me read it for you. Because um, you probably can't read it because it's so amazingly tiny up there. The new rebel is a skeptic and will not entirely trust anything. The fact that he doubts everything really gets in his way when he wants to denounce anything. For all denunciation applies a moral doctrine of some kind. And the modern revolutionist doubts not only the institution he denounces, but the doctrine by which he denounces it. As a politician, he will cry out that war is a waste of life. As a philosopher, that all life is a waste of time. He goes to a political meeting where he complains that savages are treated as if they are beasts. Then he takes his hat and umbrella and goes to a scientific meeting where he proves that they are practically are beasts. In short, the modern revolutionist, being an infinite skeptic, is always engaged in undermining his own minds. In his book on politics, he attacks men for trampling on morality. In his book on ethics, he attacks morality for trampling on men. Therefore, the modern man in revolt has become practically useless for all purposes of revolt. By revolting against everything, he has lost his right to rebel against anything. That's the ground that the world is standing on. You might not have understand all that, blah, 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 blah. But what it means is they, they don't stand for anything because they stand against everything. Jesus is setting, apart, setting us apart from that fruit salad and, and sanctifying us in his truth. But the difference is deeper than you think. Okay, here are two statements. That is true versus that is truth. What's the difference between that is true and that is truth? The Greek here 
in the Gospel of John when Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That word is a noun. Okay? That word is a, a noun. I have it written uh, down here uh, somewhere. Uh, where is it? Um, uh, yeah. uh, aletheia. All right, is the Greek word, okay? The, the Greek word aletheia, the, the word means truth, not true. Jesus' words are not just true, they are truth, meaning it, it doesn't simply conform to the scale and rule of truth, it is the scale and rule of truth. That means Jesus is saying words. So we go, oh, those are interesting words. Are they true words? Oh, yeah. Look, they measure up. They are true words. It's like if I, if I claimed, you know, that I'm 5'9". Mm, I don't know, Tommy. You don't seem quite 5'9". I'm like, I, I, I slunch a little. I got a little posture problem that I'm trying to correct right now. I'm like, I, don't, I still don't, I don't, I don't believe it. Well, what do you do? You measure me. You, you, I stand up against the wall, a thing, and you look around, and, you, yeah, and it's like, oh, look, you are five nine. You measure up. Right? Jesus' words don't measure up as being true. Jesus' words are truth itself. All other words are gauged against Jesus's. All other truths are gauged against the written word of God to find out if they actually are true. And that is the truth that Jesus wants to sanctify us in. He doesn't want us just to, to be people who believe things that are true. He wants us to be people of the truth. In verse 18, says this. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is awesome. Our great commission was, is, and will be Jesus' own commission. Jesus says, go into the world, make disciples. What did Jesus do? He went into the world and made disciples. We have the same commission. Jesus' commission is our commission, is his commission. And he's praying that it, it, would, it would be fulfilled. And in verse 19 and for their sake, I consecrate myself. I set myself apart. I, 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 for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified. They also may be consecrated. They also may be set apart. For our sake, he set himself apart that we would be set apart in him. And then we go back to the idea of adoption. He, he takes us from that orphanage of sin and death and hell and adopts us into his family, brings us into himself, brings us into truth itself. And he's praying to his father that we would abide in that truth, that we would be set apart for that truth, and that we would be experiencing that truth for all of eternity. Let's pray.